Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, we're joined by Judith Kaysen Windsor. Judith had seen Edie Windsor at several LGBTQ functions in New York City. An activist in her own right, Eventually, Judith's chance encounters led to a conversation, and that conversation led to romance. Windsor was the lead plaintiff in the 2013 Supreme Court case, which overturned Section 3 of the Defense of Marriage Act and was considered a landmark legal victory for the same-sex marriage movement in the United States. Kaysen and Windsor not only shared a commitment to the LGBT community, but a love of life. On September 26, 2016, they were wed in a quiet ceremony at New York's City Hall. Longevity is not an indicator of intensity. Although Windsor died in 2017, theirs was a relationship filled with love. Windsor was working on her memoir at the time of her death. That memoir, A Wild and Precious Life, was released on October 8, 2019. Since Edie's death, Judith has been traveling, continuing Edie Windsor's legacy. SAGE, Services and Advocacy for GLBT Elders, named their drop-in center for Edie Windsor. A cultural medallion from New York's Historic Preservation Center has been placed on their residence. Philadelphia named a street the Edie Windsor Way, and the Southampton Hospital named their HIV AIDS Center after Edie Windsor. But most of all, Judith is talking about her most favorite topic, the love of her life, Edie Windsor. Judith? Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. Yeah, well, you've had a, quite the week. Um, yes, I have had quite. Is it really the um, My weeks are always like this. This is nothing really new or, or, or out uh-huh. of the ordinary. But um, uh-huh. but this one was this one was exciting. You know, it was exciting, but it was bittersweet because you know, uh-huh. Edie had always wanted to write her book and always wanted to you know share her life and her memoir and. Um, you know, she wasn't here, and it was, mm-hmm. and it was so, it was so, and, you know, you read the book, so, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, from probably what you know of Edie Windsor, you know, it really is her, it's her voice, it, it sounds like her, you know, or growing up in Philadelphia and everything else, it so sounds like her, um, and, uh, you know, it was just, it was tough, you know, it was tough to, you know, I wish you were talking to her and not me, because, you know, mm. as, I know, as, as, I know. As, as as I just mm-hmm. listened to your introduction about you know change you know people who are you know make changes and whatever that was her that's not me you know I mean I do mm-hmm. my little part but she she did a major part. Um, I'm good. Today I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, you know, I'm good. Now that now that I'm up, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I know that's right. You know, it's, it's it's always good when the weekend gets here. You know, I have to tell you one of the things that I like about you. Oh, okay. 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 Was that, you know, people, you know, everybody has always got this image, we've got this or that, we don't talk to people after a certain point. But you saw what I think many people saw, this vibrant woman, you know, mm-hmm. cute as a bug, as my aunt would say, just cute <laughs> as a bug, vibrant, <laughs> yeah. full of life, you know, uh-huh. and 
you wanted to get to know her where, you know, yeah. society wants to say, oh, well, you know, well, first of all, you know, there's this age difference. Also, she's this icon. Well, you know, well, you weren't, you know, you weren't a slacker. I mean, you know, you have been uh, an activist. You've been involved. You've been doing things, and you've seen her around. And I applaud you for, for seeing the beauty in it. I wish that more people would look at someone and just sort of say, wow, this is an, an amazing person, someone I wanted to get to know. And if you listen to society's, you know, no-nos, look what you would have missed. Mm-hmm. So, and, I mean, and, you know, I mean, we mm-hmm. talk about, you know, sexism and racism and transphobia and homophobia and all these things. Where we don't really talk about ageism. Mm-hmm. And ageism, yeah. you know, I, I learned a lot through Edie about ageism. And um, it, it, it's, it's a big one in this society. Everybody's really hung up on people's ages. You know, I was, I was talking to, to, to women last night, and she was like, you know, the crowd in here is, like, either really, like, too old or, or like, too young. And I'm like, it's only a no- Age is just a number. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I mean, just a number. I said, look, mm-hmm. who you're, look who you're talking to. And then I said, you know, and, I, and, I, and, I said, and then I said to them, I said, do you, which kind of bugged me, but I said, do you know who Holland Taylor and Sarah Paulson are? And she was yeah. like, no. And somebody else in there, she's like, you know Sarah Paulson. She's in that American Horror Story or whatever. I don't watch that much TV, but is that what she's mm-hmm. in, American Horror Story? Yeah, I do. This girl was on the young side. So I thought, well, okay. So that her other friend said, no, she's that woman in, you know, American Horror Story. She goes, oh, her. And I said, well, she happens to be, you know, been with somebody for several years now, three, four years. Um, and her name is Holland Taylor, and she's an actress, and a, you know, all, you know, Broadway, you know, person. And Edie happened to be friends with her, random, because we found uh-huh. in her calendars, lunch with Holland Taylor. Like, uh, well, I'll get to that one second. Let me just finish this story. Um, and I said, you know, they, they have a 32-year age difference. And she's like, wow. oh, wow. And then, I, and then I said, okay, okay, if you don't know them, hang on. How about Ellen and Portia de Rossi? Do you know them? She goes, well, of course uh-huh. I know them. I go, they have a 10-year age difference. I said, so, you know, I don't, I don't remember how old she was. I said, so if you're 40, what's wrong with going out with somebody who's 30 or going out with somebody who's 50? What's the difference? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She was like, oh. oh yeah. I mean, because I mean, it is something that we don't talk. We don't talk about ageism. I mean, it's no. also, I mean, because it's sort of almost like you're putting people in a box. I mean, you want to say some people are too young. But then, you know, when are you too old to love, to have opinions, right. to want to live and enjoy life? Uh, and Edie Windsor, <laughs> she had opinions, and she lived mm-hmm. her life, and she was happy every. I mean, like, and she wanted love again. She really, really wanted to find love again. Mm-hmm. And she and she was. I tell you, you know, um, I hear through her friends, and like when I met her, she was really lonely. You know, she would go out mm-hmm. at night. And the, the amount of attention that she would get, she reminds me of any other kind of like, you hear this about Hollywood stars, you hear this about a lot of people that, you know, get a lot of attention. They go home and they're really lonely. Mm-hmm. And that was easy. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, you, know, I, I, you know, I start with it a little bit in the book that, you know, I happened, I really was, I happened, I know these two guys that live uh, in three floors above us in 11A and they were having a, uh, you know, a, a Christmas party on Christmas Eve, and I just and randomly, they live in this building, and I was mm-hmm. randomly just here, and I went to the party for like a few minutes, and then I snuck down here, and, um, you know, she was at home, like, binge-watching The L Word. And I had told her several days before that I was going to come, and I said, if you'd like to get, you know, if you'd like to come. I said, you're more than welcome to come. She's like, No. She goes, I think I'm just going to stay home and whatever. I said, well, when I get there, you know, I'll swing down. I'll come over and say hello. And she's like, that'd be great. And um, mm-hmm. I ended up staying far longer than I thought I would, you know, just talking, just, you know, hanging out with her. But, um, you know, that, you know I, I started to see in those years 
that, you know, I mean, I fell for her literally because I don't mm-hmm. believe in this stuff at all. But I literally, I looked across this, like, room with a thousand people in it. And I'd seen, and I'd gone to so many events and, and done so many of these things. And, you know, seen people get awards. And I've heard the speeches. Like, they get so boring. And he just goes, you know, whatever. And I looked up and looked across the room. And I don't believe in this stuff at all. And I was like, wow. Mm. And that's when I turned to my friend, Melora Love, and I was like, who's that? And she started telling me who she was. Oh, she sat on the board of SAGE, you know, and in the 80s, and then she did it again in the early 2000s and all this stuff. I go, no, 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 none of that. Like, tell me, like, who is that? Mm-hmm. And she was like, and she did. And, you know, Malore and I talked, and we're very good friends, and we talked about it the other day. And she said, me, of all people who have sat on the board of SAGE for, you know, years, mm-hmm. she goes, the way it makes me sound in the book, that, like, I, I did that ageism thing. And I'm like, oh, I don't think so. I don't think it does. But, you, you, know? you know, but there's some parts, you know, but it's it's almost like that people do that, and you go like, Mm-hmm. You know, no, you know. Oh, I do, I do now. I do it all uh-huh. the time. Mm-hmm. Because when people say something to me, I look at them and I go, look who you're talking to. Really, mm-hmm. seriously. Mm-hmm. I go, hey, did you just a number. Did you have a moment when you wondered, you know, like, you know, she? I want to get to know her. And is she is she going to believe me? You know, I mean, is she going to even going to, like, let me talk to her? Did you think that you had a chance with, with her? No, no. Um, no that, that, well, when I first saw her, you know, that was in 2010. That was before the Supreme Court stuff happened. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. she had a press conference at the LGBT Center like, like a couple of weeks later, and I was getting dressed for work in the morning, and I was watching it on, I was watching it on New York One. You know, I always turned it on for weather on the ones. And, you know, I always mm-hmm. kind of turned on the TV in the morning or watched the NBC. Um, and I, and that, I saw her do that first press conference. So, you know, everybody here in New York knew about this case before it really went national and international. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there I was, you know, in – if this was 2010, I must have just turned like 45. You know, it, it, like you said, you want to ask about me a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I I was not, you know, because, I think because of that whole sort of, you know, I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, and I, you know, when I talk to people my age, you know, we talk about it that, you know, some of us were out, but like, I didn't know anything from being gay. I didn't know any gay people. The first time mm-hmm. anybody started talking about gay was in the late 80s to 90s when the AIDS crisis hit. But that was mm-hmm. gay men. That was completely gay men. And, 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 like, so I didn't know any, like, I knew, you know, a couple of guys I thought that were effeminate in college. And, you know, and it's so funny. I'm friends with about three or four guys now that I was very good friends with in college. And they were like, after we would go out and be drinking beer and doing all this stuff or whatever, they were like, we were going to gay bars down. I went to school at American University in Washington, D.C. So they said, Mm -hmm. after we would go out, I was going down to gay bars. And I looked at them, I go, I could I had one eye closed. I couldn't even see it. Like, I was so bummed. I said, mm-hmm. I went home. And I go, you went out after that to gay bars in D.C.? And I'm like, why didn't you take me? I would have gone with you. And they were like, they were so closeted. You know? They were mm-hmm. like, no mm-hmm. way. No way we were going to take you. No way. They were wow. very in the closet. Now, and now they're, especially two or three of them, I am extremely good friends with now. And we laugh about it because, like, how we used to go out and hang out together or we took each other to, like, sorority and fraternity, you know, dances and parties and stuff. Just mm-hmm. like, oh, mm-hmm. you want to come with me? I'm like, sure, I'll go with you, sure. And back and forth. And now they're all gay. And I'm like, well, well, that makes, you know, of course. Of course we went together, you know. But I was so intrigued with them that they were actually acting on it, but like it never even occurred to me to act on it or, you mm-hmm. know, be with a woman or any of that thing. Then, you know, since 
you know, I went through that phase, and then all through my, you know, 20s, I, you know, I had some serious boyfriends. I was, you know, almost got engaged twice, and and then about 29 or 30 is when I started. I just, am I coming out story story? I, I won't tell it. It's just too long. But um, not too long. But <laughs> I just won't. Mm-hmm. But I did. I came out, you know, at 29. I mean, I literally just, you know, w- walked into the Meow Mix one night. And that was it. Mm, mm-hmm. and the used to, uh, was on Halston over by Katz's Deli. And I literally just, I, I had left like a straight party, my usual like Hamptons. I used to do shares in the Hamptons with like a whole bunch of, you know, girls and guys, you know, and all like my old sorority sisters from college and all these guys. It was like a big fraternity house. It was disgusting. I couldn't stand it. And I remember I turned to my friend and I said, you know what? I said, I just, I just don't think I'm going to do this this summer. I said, it grosses me out. You know, we never get the weekends we want. Even if we do get the weekends, like we never have, like it's, just, it's a big fraternity, but it's just mm-hmm. gross. And, I'm, and she just looked at me like appalled. Because, you know, if you live in New York, she's like, she's like if you don't do the Hamptons, like what are you going to do all summer? I go, I don't know, but I don't want to do this again. And, and I left. And I walked, and I and I jumped in a cab, and then I told the cab driver to just like stop on Houston Street. Got out of the cab, went into the Meow Mix, met this woman, went home with her, and that was it. That was it. That's mm-hmm. that, that was it. Mm-hmm. And then after mm-hmm. that, there was there was no turning back. And boy, I had a great summer. And um, and then from then, and, and, then, and then from then on, um. You know, and Edie knew this about me, you know, because I never thought I would settle down. I never thought, like, I could get married or have this kind of what, what you know, what we consider a normal life. Mm-hmm. I played around. I dated a lot. Like, I was mm-hmm. always dating this one or that one. And, you know, at times I'd have girlfriends for a year, year and a half or two. or And I'd be like, see ya. You know, I just, you know, I was always, I was always on the move. You know, I can so relate to that because, you know, that's how I did. But what, what's mm-hmm. interesting, which also made me think about you and, 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 and Edie, okay, I had a friend here, I mean, who has since passed, and her name happens to be Judith. And Judith oh, and her partner, there was like an age, an age difference. And her partner, I mean, Judith had been like, she was like legendary here, you know, like in, in in this area, doing things and being involved. And uh-huh. they had been at a dinner, and her partner just sort of looked at her and, and did it. And she and her partner, who was younger, had a son, you know, and it just so happened. And later on, I was telling her, you know, I said, I don't think, you know, because, you know, she'd see, you know, who are you with now? You know? And I said, you know, I just don't think I'm ever going to, to, to get married or whatever. Yeah. You know, this love thing isn't for me. And she said, don't give up on love. She said, she didn't think. And here it was, and she said, and of all people, you know, this younger lesbian, she had a son. And, you know, you talk about the intensity and not long, longevity. And they had such uh-huh. a beautiful relationship. And I often, and, I, and when she passed, I started and said, you know, it was her who made me just believe and open my heart to the possibilities because seeing how they were together. And, you mm-hmm. know, and if either of them had gone after, oh, this age thing, you know, here was beautiful example of a loving couple and what they did and how she affected you know, her stepson, and it was just, like, so beautiful. And when I, as I read the book, I thought of them as I thought of you and Edie. Yeah. You know. Yeah. How did, and, um, mm-hmm. I, I, didn't even, I didn't even think about, like, the love part, you know, the, the mm-hmm. madly falling in love, happily ever after. You know, you know, looking back on it, you know, of course I knew it, you know, at a very young age, that something, you know, it was different and I knew not to say anything and just mm-hmm. pretend and, and, you know, go with boys and go to, the, you know, to the prom or wherever, mm-hmm. you know, do everything that I was supposed to do. And, you know, I come from this Jewish family, so you have to date nice Jewish boys and, you know, that whole thing. And so that's what I just did. And, that, and I, I suppressed it and just I never thought about love or happily ever after and I was like you, know, you hear about the girls that are like oh they dream of their wedding day they just have mm-hmm. time to groom you know I'm like 
I never thought about my wedding day or my mm-hmm. like and like I I just was one of those I just was like what like no like you know when I used to hear girls talk about that I would be like I don't know no I don't think about it like it was like yeah. that was not like the ultimate day of my life you know I don't mm-hmm. know what the ultimate day of my life was but I was like no I don't think about my wedding day. How did Edie's friends react to you when they realized that you two were an item? Um, I will have to say with, with Edie's friends, it was a mix. Uh, and, and there was a clear distinct, distinction. It was either they were on board or they weren't. And mm-hmm. let's just focus on the ones that were. The ones that were, yeah. I, am, I am still friends with today. I still see them. I, I go out. I, I hang out with them. You know, I sit, like, you know, I'm going to the Sage Dinner Monday night. I'm sitting at the mm-hmm. same table with them, not my friends. Mm-hmm. I'm, um, I, I usually sit with my, you know, my, you know at the corporate table. Um, mm-hmm. this, this year I'm, I'm sitting with, you know, Edie's friends. She had these two very good, a very good friend, Barbara Rosen, and her wife of, you know, 30-some years, Pat Martrone, and that's who I'm sitting with, and Rebecca C. Wright and all these other people. Um, but with Edie's friends, it was very clear-cut. Either they liked me or they did not. <laughs> and it used to make me pretty it, – well, it, it got her extremely angry. I mean, very angry and very upset. But Edie wasn't the – she wasn't confrontational. You know, she lived, she lived her life, you know. She was mm-hmm. not confrontational. She just would cut them off. Mm-hmm. And she never – and she never even really discussed with me what is discussed in the book of how hurt mm-hmm. and angry she was. She never told mm-hmm. me about these conversations with David Mixner. She never told me how hurtful it was for her, how she saw how people kind of just brushed me aside and, you know, didn't even pay attention to me. And, you know, um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's very clear, you know. And then after, since she has passed away, the people who were completely fine with me, I am, am still in contact with. I have dinner with them. I see them. Whatever the ones that she didn't, I I, I haven't I haven't seen them in two years. Don't know who they, you know. Don't know where they are. Mm-hmm. What they're doing. Don't care. And mm-hmm. and she really didn't either. She cut them off. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? mm-hmm. And they and they were really and they were really hurt and upset. And you know they blamed me, but I was mm-hmm. like you know what you know. When I've had I've had one or two conversations with, with one of them, and I said I said, you know, you blame me, but nobody. I, I said, did you ever stop and think for one second about Edie? Mm-hmm. Like this was Edie's choice. Edie had a choice. I did not hold a gun to this woman's head. Edie mm-hmm. had a choice, mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. were happy, and it was so visibly obvious we were happy and when people uh-huh. get into new relationships some fr- you know you don't see your friends as often but you're supposed to be happy for your friend you're supposed to be happy for them you know mm-hmm. right. and 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 sadly and unfortunately and you know in the society that we live in and you know in this fast-paced whatever kind of new york that we live in you know it came down i i hate to say it i but i'll say it because someone just Someone blatantly just said it to me last week. He, he was over here, and he was like, you know, a lot of people talk about you behind your back. And I'm like, well, thank you very much. I was like, yes, <laughs> I'm aware. I said, mm-hmm. I know. I know they do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and I've known for, you know, four or five years now. Um, but thank you for telling me to my face. I appreciate the update. <laughs> you know, I really do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, he kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit. But then he finally just said it, and he blurted it out. He goes, you know, they, they were all calling you a gold digger. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, how about, wasn't well, that interesting? I said, mm-hmm. you're not telling me I, I, nothing I haven't heard. And I said, you know, here, here's the problem now is, you know, I was always – philanthropic. I was always attending all these events. Thank I was always you. Donating. You know, I was always doing my thing. And none of the exact, no one ever really kind of paid attention to what I, and plus my corp, my company was also, you know, I got them to do sponsorships and things like that. And I, I remember you know, living with Edie, you know, if, if women gave like, 
I don't know, five or 10,000 or whatever they gave at the women's dinner. The next thing I know, she was having like lunch with a group of like, you know, six or eight women and the executive director of the center and Edie. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I gave more than that. I've never had, I've never been invited to these luncheons. I'm, I'm, like, that's like, really? I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. But I, was, I was never, in, I was never invited to any of those things. And no one ever, you know, you know, took me out for a drink or sat me down or did that. Nobody ever asked anything. But now since Edie has passed away, I would have to say they all have taken me for dinner or lunch mm-hmm. or whatever and proceed to ask for money. And I'm like, we, we just, we, you know, Edie left them, you know, a lot. And I said, we just gave you X last year. I said, we haven't uh-huh. settled her. I said, not that this is any of your business, because it's not. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, you know, I've gotten used to it at this point. But, you know, I've also, I've talked to enough of them, and I've made it clear that, like, you know, leave me alone for 2019. Leave me Thank alone. You. <laughs> you know, well, right you know now, what? I said, we gave, we get, you know, we gave, we uh-huh. gave oh, and, and, I, and I say we, because just because, uh-huh. they, you know, Edie gave it away in her trust, it was our money. Mm-hmm. And you know what and I so, like it is it is in the last chapters of the book, Edie gave you your props. You know, you know, like you said, you know, she wasn't going to, she stood out. I mean, she said, I mean, it wasn't like she was defending you or anything. She gave yeah. you your props. You know, it's yeah. like Judith, you know, you guys might think that I'm the prize, but for her, you were the prize. You were a partnership. She, you know, and it yeah. was like she respected you. She talked about the, I mean, she gave you yours in her book. And, you know, and she said, it, it's not going to be just about, you know, that's not the end of the story, the, the Supreme yeah. Court the decision. This is where yeah. I am now, and this is my life partner. This is my wife, and this is who she is. And I, you and know. I think you can tell from the pictures. Mm-hmm. That woman was happy. Yes. I mean, because, you know, one of her very close friends who I'm close with, you know, she, like, pulled out her phone one day, and she was showing me a couple of pictures. She goes, you know, we used to come over here, and you would just be hanging out, you know, by herself all the time. And um, she showed me a picture of Edie. She goes, look at her face. Uh And so I looked at her face, and she was like, the difference, Judith, what, what you did when you came into her life, I, the difference, just in her face alone, just lit up. She was a completely different, she was happy. She was really mm-hmm. happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, I, you know, and I don't like to discuss finances because it is nobody's business within my, you know, my handbag or her handbag. Nobody's business mm-hmm. within our bank account. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I told, and I can tell you this story. I came home, it was, it was, either the 30th or 31st of January, of December, and it must have been, I think it was the 31st, actually. Um, I came home from work, and she always used to meet me at the door. She was like, let me get into the door. I'm like, oh. and you're usually, like, you know, at that point, you know, it's cold, so you've got your winter coat on, your scarf, and so when I was standing at the door, I'm like, I'm hot. I'm like, Edie, can I just, can I, can I, can I just take off my coat? Well, anyway, so I came in, and she said to me, she goes, oh, I was talking to, um, you know, Donnie, who's a very dear, dear friend of ours. I've known him since Empire State Pride Agenda, and I remember Edie being at Empire State Pride Agenda, you know, five mm-hmm. years ago or whatever, and when she was there, I was like, oh, my God, Edie's here, you know, and I would always, mm-hmm. like, go up and say hello to her or whatever, but a million people did, so I didn't make any kind of impression in those days. It, it, it took a few years of me keep going up to her, and then her seeing me at every event, you know, I was mm-hmm. always at all of these events and then if they had like you know a sponsorship or a vip cocktail hour prior i would always be there and that's where i had more of an opportunity to have more like small chit chat with her mm-hmm. so that's how but, it just that's how it just kept happening it just kept happening mm-hmm. so anyway so i come home on this december 31st and she's like you know i gave twenty five thousand dollars to callan lord and i said i think that's wonderful i said i think that's great she goes yeah donnie's going to be here any minute he she i'm going to give 12.5 and you're going to give 12.5 and i kind of was like what you know walking and i kind of stopped i turned around and go I, I, oh i didn't realize that was a we <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i just started laughing but i got my checkbook 
and I gave my 12-5, and she gave her 12-5, and it was not up for discussion. And, and you know, I didn't say a word. I, I just did it. We were a partnership. It wasn't something I was expecting, but I'm like, okay. You know, when I saw the pictures when you got married, that's what I saw. I saw the happiness in her face. Mm-hmm. You know, I know a, a another longtime activist who also happens to live in New York whose partner died before marriage equality, and I met her after no. she's been like a strong advocate. And she never, you know, I mean, she has a very full life, but you still hear that loneliness and that emptiness. And I love her dearly, and it's like, gosh, I wish, you know, that she would find someone and who could, could see what a wonderful, great woman she is and just love her to pieces. And when I saw Edie and I saw her face, I saw that yeah. joy. And it was like, yes, you know, yes, mm-hmm. you know. That just made me so very happy to see that. And, you know, and that's what I saw. I said, how wonderful that, you know, here, you know, life goes yeah, on and, here, and, and, you know. And I would say that most, you know, most people, it was just a few of her friends that had a problem, but everybody else saw it. You know, the doormen loved just watching us going out together and we were <laughs> laughing and having a great time, you know, and, you know, then we would come home and I'd be like, and I, I'd usually be, I'm like, look, and they're like, oh, Edie got another award. And they were just, they were really, you know, just, and then when uh-huh. we would go out, people were just so happy to see us like, you know, together and, you know, having fun. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, of course she was always like, as soon as we walked into a room, it was, it was you know, pandemonium. And you know, mm-hmm. somebody would grab her, and somebody who wanted to meet her would grab her, and maybe five or six, we'd get, you know, five or six people away from each other or whatever, and then next day I know somebody would be tapping me on the shoulder, and I'd, I'd turn around, and they're like, Edie's looking for you. And I'm like, okay. I said, excuse me, and I'll, I would go back, and I'd have to worm my way through, you know, <laughs> to find her, because she wanted me, you know, beside her, because mm-hmm. it was kind of like a, a little bit of a protective boundary for her. You know that mm-hmm. you know I would I I I I didn't say anything. You know I would let these people have their conversation with Edie. I wouldn't interrupt. You know if they had their. You know I was very respectful of that. You know if they had their moment with Edie Windsor, I wasn't mm-hmm. going to take it away from them, and I I wasn't going to take it away from her. And I just but she wanted me next to her. So it's like she needed to like cut the conversation because sometimes like people would tell like their whole life story and you know mm-hmm. how much. Mm-hmm. She meant to them, and my partner can be in the United States for you, and you know, and I get a lot of that now. And I had a friend of mine who was in the book, Holly Buchanan, standing next to me at a party in the Hamptons this summer. And this woman, this young girl, she was going on and on and on. And I tried to, like, you know, politely kind of wrap it up. And, I, you know, mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. knew I was, you know, I was trying to do it. And then finally when it wrapped up, you know, we looked at each other because we're very, you know, Holly and I are very good friends. That was one of Edie's favorite friends of mine. Um. I looked at Holly, just looked at me, she goes, I don't know how you do it. I go, I don't know either sometimes. <laughs> I, said, I said, you know, it's, it's tough. It's, it's, it's really tough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, but it, it is, you know, I don't have that pandemonium like Edie at all, you know. Mm-hmm. But, like, last night I did go to this event and whatever, and, you know, several people came up to me, and I was like, oh, hello, I'm Judith. And they're like, oh, we know who you are. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you, know, and, you know, so mm-hmm. I get that a little bit. But, um, you know, you know, and once in a while, people like want to take a selfie with me or whatever. But like, you know, I am, I am. It does surprise me because like this event that I went to last night, you know, all of a sudden it kind of hits me in the head, and I'm like, oh, everybody does know. Everybody in this room does know who. I, and I didn't know everybody mm-hmm. there, but you know, I, I, I think I'm like, oh, everybody must, you know, they do. When I walk in somewhere, they, they know I'm there. You know, most people know who I am. Uh-huh. Well, Judith, we're going to take our first break here, and then we're okay. going to talk about the, about this book. So, um, okay, we'll be right great. There. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown 
is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. You know, shaking hands is too formal or something. I don't know. I know. You know, I I, know. I'm a yeah. hugger. You know, I, I do. I, you know, for people when I first meet them or whatever, I'm like, yeah, it, it was so weird. I went to the gutsy women um, thing uh, like two weeks ago, uh-huh. and we were invited. We 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 were invited to the VIP thing beforehand. You know, in a back, you know, with uh, Hillary and Chelsea, and I saw Hillary. And, you know, she put out her hand. And I go, can I hug you? She goes, yes. And I, like, hugged Hillary Clinton. I was like, and then I was like, oh, my God. Like, because, you know, I know how some people feel about that. That's a boundary, you know, that, like, whatever. Because uh-huh. I really, I wanted, I wanted to thank her because when I, you know, they sent me a signed copy of the Gutsy Woman book. And, uh-huh. um, you know, I immediately opened it. And I'm flipping through, like, and I see, like, authors and athletes and, you know, uh, you know, elected, elected, and all, they had all these categories of women. And I, of course, looked for Edie under activists and act, uh-huh. uh, advocates. And I didn't see her. And I'm like, that's so weird. So, like, I, you know, I kept looking, and I was like, authors. I go, oh, she must have, like, another section for something. I don't, you know, I don't know. And I turned the page, and she put Edie under groundbreakers. Yeah. I mean, in and, so many ways. In so and many ways. I, and I was like, Oh my God! And so I did. I gave her a hug, and you know, when I you know pulled back. I said to her, I said, I said, when I saw Edie under groundbreakers, and as opposed to advocates and ab- activists, I said, I, I said, I was, I was, I said she would be so t- so overwhelmed, so touched. I said, uh-huh. like, because that's, I said, that's a bump up. <laughs> I think uh-huh. that's so amazing. And she's like, oh. and we had a nice chat about it, which was very nice. Her and Chelsea are okay. both very nice. They're really oh, nice. nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Judith, I mean, it was funny. I was, you know, I was like thinking about partners of people who are icons, and I saw that the book was coming out, and I reached out to you, and you were so sweet, you know, I, and you said to how you love to talk about Edie. And then we talked. I do. And, my favorite, I, said, I tell her, it's my favorite subject. Uh-huh. And you said, you know, you got to read the book. And, I mean, and first of all, I just love talking to you because, you know, you, you, I really could sense how much you loved her. I mean, you could tell <sighs> by the pictures, but just in you talking about her, how much you loved her. But then I read the book, and as I'm reading the book, I'm going like, I love Edie too, <laughs> you know. And I, I think know. I went on, I mean, even before the book came out, I was like, oh, and Edie, this and Edie, that because – you know, she was, like you were just telling the story, which I'm going to ask you to tell again about her being groundbreaking. I mean, uh-huh. she was doing in tech with IBM. I mean, we talk about how yeah. there's no women in there. Not, she was doing it. She was into math. I mean, you know, I mean, yep. how phenomenal. And, 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 and I, yeah, I can break down a story for her. I tell the story to people all the time because we have the documentation. Um, I took Edie to go see the movie Hidden Figures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, you know, she had no idea what it was about, whatever, and we go. And, you know, it, it happened to be like on a Sunday afternoon, and there were maybe 15 to 20. It was like, you know, usually when they do it in a smaller theater after the movie's been out for a while. Um, and there were maybe 15 or 20 people there, and we're watching the movie, and she is love—I mean, just lo- just loving the movie. Mm-hmm. And they get to the scene where they have to like break down the door because the IBM computer couldn't fit through the double through the doors. Mm-hmm. And, and so they get to that part, and then they set up this IBM in this whole big room at NASA. Edie gets up from her seat and goes up to the screen and started. Ex- Explaining the whole thing and how oh, like, wow. her she was so excited because they had that 
that, that computer system, because it was around the same time, they had that computer system at NYU. That's when she got her security clearance to work for the UNIVAC. So what they were doing at NASA, she was doing for the Energy Atomic Commission in New York. And that computer literally, and, and, you know, she showed me the block. And now it's just, you know, you know there's uh, NYU school buildings mm-hmm. and stuff there. But literally the computer took up the whole block. And so wow. she stood up and she was explaining the whole thing and the, how the woman was putting in the cards and had that Fortran book, eating uh-huh. that. You know, that was in a day when I, that was like, that was the only computer book out there. I mean, there mm-hmm. were very, very few. And so Edie started explaining the whole thing. And I'm like, Edie, you know, I'm like, Edie, come sit down. Come sit down. Come sit down. And I just, you know, and I have to tell you, we have, and, and that was the IBM 730. We have documentation, and we have, unlike, um, like, you know, the, I guess, the, you know, the paper that's, like, on boards or whatever, but then you can, like, rip it off, where she drew, you know, this whole computer system, and on the back there's, like, a little piece of, like, you know, a, like a name tag sort of thing on the back, in, you know, in red, and on the back of it it says preliminary IBM 740, E.S. Windsor, October 61. Oh, wow. So How that, amazing. So, you know, when they, when, you know, the book or whoever says that Edie had a very, you know, productive and, and esteemed career at IBM, that's how productive and esteemed woman she was at IBM. Like, she, she that's where she was. I, and I can tell you more stories like that, but we have that documentation. You know, because, I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. I mean, like, I mean, and she was. I mean, it was like. Yeah. And in so her smart. book, which, which yep. to me, it's, it's, it's not only it's about her, but it also tells all these things about what, the, what was going on with it. What were computers like? That, that breaking that ground into mm-hmm. it. I mean, it is so. It's almost like a historical reference manual also. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I read, you know, with the advanced copies and, you know, all the stuff and, like, things went in and things came out. And there are so many stories that we left out. But I think he did put the story in there of her friend when, you know, Stephen Hawking came out with the, with the theory of, what, uh, you know, of, of dark matter or whatever it was. Uh-huh in the early 70s, and how uh-huh. is the story in there where she brought out, like, an easel and, and a whiteboard, and she started explaining it to this woman and Thea, and they were looking at her like, what? <laughs> like, how, how Edie understood it. Uh-huh. I, I, think, I think they put that in the book. I'm not sure. But I've and, you know, I think, ver- uh-huh. I mean, I, I that's think I've a version of that. Uh-huh. I mean, the brilliance. I mean, that, that's a, the brilliance yeah. of it. You know, the fact that, you know, even from a young age, how she had, um, you know, been yeah. double promoted a couple of times. You know, oh, yeah. this woman, right, I mean, she was not, you know, just like, oh, she wanted, I mean, this was one brilliant woman and knew brilliant. that something was wrong, which was why she took it to the Supreme Court. She understood more than just, you know, well, you know, we were together. You know, she mm-hmm. was, was brilliant no. on so many levels. No. You know, again, you know, because we had seen, you know, the press conferences, and Edie was starting to get, at, you know, even before the oral arguments, were, which was in March, you know, Edie was getting awards, and, you know, or, or, you know, she was very well-respected and very well-known around here of all ages. Like, everybody uh-huh. knew Edie. You know, I, I, you know, I talk about the Hampton, like, there's a tea dance in the middle of the summer. It was uh-huh. known as the Edie Windsor Hampton's Tea Dance because she would send <laughs> out an email from, you know, like, you know, they would make it like it was from her inviting everybody to come, and then there was the Edie Windsor, you know, backyard barbecue. And I was telling this to someone the other day. Edie and Thea, you know, they got their house at NYU, actually, when I spoke at NYU. Edie and Thea got that house in 1968, and I also told the story, and I believe it's in the book, of how she got this, how she bought the house in 1968, because I was saying to these NYU students, and this is another thing that I love about this book, you know, and not just for gay, you know, LGBT youth and whatever, I think all women should read this book. 
Uh You know, know, everyone should read because there are things in there that, like, you don't think about. So when I was talking about, you know, how Edie had $35,000 in cash to buy this house in 1968, and I said, you know, I'm I'm a financial advisor, so I I really understand that. You know, and I said to the students, I said, you know, in 1968, women could not get mortgages. Uh And even, even if they could get mortgages with their husbands, their salary as a secretary, a teacher, a nurse, or, you know, one other, I said, those were your career choices. That was it. And when they went to the bank together to go, you know, if you were married, if they went to the bank to go get a mortgage, the woman's salary as her secretary or teacher or whatever was not even included because they were like, oh, she'll get pregnant in a couple of years. She's not going to be working. So we just have to really, you know, so just the males salary and all of his stuff was on the mortgage. And Uh in those days, women also couldn't get credit cards in their own name. They were in their husband's names. Uh And I had a a client, Uh a teacher, who has since passed away, but when she bought her house, her father had to do the mortgage with her. Wow. Wow. And, you know, I mean, you know, and so that's uh-huh. part of this whole story that, like, you know, and that's why when I see women today who don't vote, you know, I talk to some students who, like, oh, I don't feel like I can make an informed decision. I'm like, you're college. How can you not Thank make you. an informed decision? Like, uh-huh. how could you not vote? Like, you know, like, it, you know, exactly. I, I do. I, believe it or not, I can go speechless sometimes. Like, you, know, uh-huh. I, you know, we take things for granted. And then, you know, what happened in the Supreme Court, you know, just, just on October 8th in 2019, that LGBT uh-huh. people could get fired or lose their home or, you know, it, it is mind-blowing to me. And, you know, you know and, this, uh-huh, and, and uh-huh. fortunately or unfortunately in this book, this shows how Edie navigated through her life. And it's kind of, I'll be honest, it's, it's how I've navigated through my life. You know, straight looking, not discussing my personal life, just navigating through my life until I finally kind of, you know, came out at work and stuff. And, you know, this point, nobody, you know, nobody's, uh, and I have never to my face faced any kind of, you know, you know, that religious, you know, I, I've, I, I've never had that in my lifetime, but I see it in social media. You know, some people write things under, you know, like when I posted things about Edie's book and these holy rollers would jump in and just uh-huh. with, such, with such despise and, and just, I usually, I usually just, I, I delete a lot of them. I just delete them. Because I'm not engaging in that. Well, you know, I think that you're right how you say how this, because, I mean, I have gone to, I mean, the Women's March and spoken at it afterwards, and I hear women who talk, and I'm going like, do you know what, Ed, just for, forget the gay thing. It just says women, what we had to go to, and now you're telling me that you don't vote or you don't, know. you know, you're, you're bowing to that. And then I've met LGBT people, particularly lesbians, who are saying, like, you know, mm-hmm who talk about wanting to, like, go back in the closet. And I'm going, like, you know. Are you crazy? Do you know how hard Exactly. Are? We fought for it. You know, we've done this stuff together. And I want them to say, read this. You know, do you want to read this book as to, you know, what has happened and what people did to stand up so that we could have this right? And it's just amazing to me. And I agree with you. Everybody should read this from you know, not yeah. only women, but I think that there are a lot of men and even gay men who need to read to understand, you know, when they don't want to understand privilege, this was privilege, okay? Ooh. You know, this was privilege, and this is some privilege that still goes on. And we're not going to move forward if we don't learn from those lessons. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was really pleased with a couple of the articles that came out and some of the sections that they picked. And, and Time Magazine, when they reviewed the book, the headline read something, you know, Edie Windsor talks about um, the AIDS crisis, and that's when lesbians and gay men, you know, came together. Uh, uh-huh. And, you know, that is very 
powerful. You know, Edie was an anomaly, and it's funny, I, I'm very similar to her too. You know, like she, you know, in the book it describes how she had her boys. It was very odd for a woman to have, you know, to be friends with guys in the 1950s. But she, was, she had this group of guys that she was friends with, and she, you know, and they were, and it, it does, it's so me, they were like, you know, when Edie would come out with us or whatever, like, you never knew, like, who she was bringing. Like, you know, one time it'd be one girl, and the next time it'd be, like, another girl. Like, and I, I was the same way. And my parents, like, my friends and my family were the same way. They were like, you know, oh, Jesus says she's coming home for Thanksgiving and bringing whoever she's seeing. And then my parents would be like, don't know who it's going to be. And the next time it could be somebody. <laughs> we'll see, you know. Like, and and, and um, one of her friends, told, and he's alive, he's 97, he told us this story that, uh, you know, she used to go down to Barnegat Light in New Jersey, and, like, he didn't know who he was going to bring, you know, whatever woman of the weekend she was bringing, but that's fine. But she, um, I also told this story to NYU, and I heard a gasp in the room because, you know, Edie would go to the gay bars with the guys, and if, you know, God forbid the bar was raided, she could grab one of them and say, he's my boyfriend. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because, she, you know, and, and, like, the room gasped. And they were like, what? What, really? And I'm like, yeah. So she could save one of them. And that's mm-hmm. a very, mm-hmm. like, just stop and think about that for a second. That's powerful. Yeah, really, that's Literally, you know, 50, year, 50, 60 years ago, they were raiding gay bars. And, you know, men were, they were getting arrested. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you fast forward to, you know, the mid, say mid-80s to mid-90s, where we lost a generation of men. We lost a lot. I mean, talk to somebody like David Mixner. He went to mm-hmm. like hundreds and hundreds of funerals. Mm-hmm. He said mm-hmm. Every day he was going to a funeral. Every day. Mm-hmm. And, and Edie was going to a lot too. And I that is when him. gay mm-hmm. men and gay women came together. But what, what is not told, but what is told in Edie's book, is when the men got sick, and their families turned on them and didn't even come to visit them in the hospital or didn't claim their bodies. It was the lesbians who jumped uh-huh. in and cleaned up their soiled sheets and their, you know, uh, you know, just be blunt, their vomit and took care of them and picked up uh-huh. their prescriptions and, and brought them food and whatever. And it was the women who did that. And, it is never acknowledged, and it's still not acknowledged today. You know, I talked to a woman, and once, and she was telling me that during the eight, at the height of the AIDS epidemic, she said that um, at work she kept a black jacket hanging on the back of her door because she never knew. It was almost like yeah. every day she was going to a funeral. Uh huh. Every day. You know. Uh huh. It was like it every was day. Uh-huh. You, know, uh-huh. I, you know, I was in college in those days, but I remember the, I remember the AIDS quilt. I remember it being uh-huh. laid out on the mall. I remember going to see it. it, it and, and in those days, like, you know, we didn't know where it came from. So it was like, uh, you know, you couldn't touch the towels at the gym. Like, it was, uh-huh. it was, it was a panic. You know, people were in panic over it. And then, you know, it got a little settled down. And it's also interesting that here we are 30, 40 years later, and is still stigmatized as a uh-huh. gay men's disease. Well, I just read an article recently that 67% of the new cases of AIDS in this country, were you ready for this? Uh-huh. African-American women. Thank you. You know, African-American women. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. And, and 67% also, uh-huh. of the new uh-huh. cases are African. And uh, and not only that, but also senior citizens. And many uh-huh. of them are older women who like maybe it's been married, suddenly mm-hmm. they're single, they decide to 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 date and guess what? And you're hearing I mean, I've talked yes. to people who, oh, who are I, working I joke with, about this. Mm-hmm. I joke about this all the time because my parents live they live part time in Virginia and part time in Boca, hundred and eighty two days in Boca, mm-hmm. you know, in Florida. And I joke about it because, you know, there's a lot of senior communities down there. And, you know, just through all the work that I've done and, you know, I read, you know, all the stuff from Sage or, you know, whoever, I just, I'm always reading like their stuff. And that, uh, you know, sexually transmitted diseases are rampant in like those older communities like Century Village and Boca Raton. 
mm-hmm. which has thousands and thousands of apartments and, you know, whatever. But STDs are rampant in those communities. And, and in the rural south, you know, a lot of yeah. I mean, HIV, AIDS and stuff. Like that. And even when you uh-huh. hear that, you know, like in big cities, how they have things like PrEP and all of this, and you have people living longer and longer and longer in big yeah. cities and things who are undetectable. But then you have other rural areas, southern areas, and populations that you don't, you wouldn't expect, not engaged, but here in these areas, and there aren't the resources. And the things that are under attack would take away the resources from these people, not only that, but the education that needs to happen. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just like, it's just like phenomenal. You know, I mean, and, you know, was there anything that, as Edie was writing the book, did she like sort of say, well, let, okay, the book's going to come out. I'm going to give you a preview of this. Was there anything that you two had not talked about or that you were surprised in reading it that she shared with you? Um, there were a couple of little surprises because, you know, she didn't go so intensely about her, you know, her whole romance and her whole mm-hmm. thing with Thea with me because she didn't want, you know, she didn't want to tell me those things. And I think she, you know, but she opened up to Josh about those a lot more. Mm-hmm. So there were a couple things in there, you know, just details. You know, I, I knew the majority of it because that was one thing. I was not jealous of Thea at all. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and part of that, I have to give credit to Edie. She, you know, she didn't make me feel inferior or, or, you know, where I should have to be jealous of Thea because, uh-huh. you know, there were a lot of women that Edie dated that that was a big issue with them, and it was not an issue with me at all. I know when you were telling it, me how, because, how she had taken out the pictures and you said, no, leave them up. That's yeah, beautiful. yeah, I came in, I, I, I came in, and I, you know, and I remember, and I remember standing in the living room, and I was talking to her about something, you know, she was telling me about something on the TV, you know, about whatever, and I, and I, and I just kind of just noticed, like, in the corner of my eye, I go, something's missing, and I looked, I go, I go where, where's that picture of you and Thea that I love, like, it's, it's always right there, she goes, oh, I put a couple of them away today, and I was like, no, 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 this is where they belong, uh, you know, uh-huh. No, I, uh-huh. yeah, I, I joked with her. I said, you know, if I had a CE, I said, I said if Thea was still around and like we had a CE, we had a bump into her at a party, I said, yeah, that'd be a little awkward. I said, but you know, I said, I so respect your relationship. I mean, you spent half your life with her, more than half your, you know, forty-four years. She has to be a part of you, who you are. And if I love you so much, I'm sure I would love her so much. And it, and it changed the trajectory of her life that, you yes. know, you, there wouldn't be you and, and Edie if it hadn't been Edie and Thea. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. for her, you know, you know, she just did things. She just, she just sort of just flowed through life. And, you know, I remember, like, you know, being at the courthouse and getting married, whatever. I mean, and I, unfortunately, my friend videotaped the whole thing, so we have it. But, um. You know, you know, to stand her, you know, we have pictures where, like, we're literally signing the paperwork. And, you know, both of us kind of just stopped and watched Edie sign that piece of paper. And we're like, oh, my God, for Edie Windsor to be able to sign that piece of paper? Uh-huh. Do you know what that meant to her? Uh-huh. I mean, it was, I had so many moments that were just, just so inspiring. And then the, Everything that came out of her mouth, and you can ask anybody who talked to her in New York or whatever, they, we all feel the same way. Everything that came out of her mouth was like jaw-dropping. Uh-huh. She just had, she was just so articulate and just so wise and so fair-minded and just so open. And just, she was just, I mean, you know, she, you know, you look at her and like there's other people who've done Supreme Court cases who don't have this kind of notoriety that she did. She was, uh-huh. she projected herself, just by being her, projected herself into being the icon that she became. Uh-huh. Because she was just such an amazing human being. Uh, and, you know, and, and that, like, I guess that part of that was almost like, seen her sign those papers uh, was another one of those bittersweet 
moment, you know, that she yeah. had to, to go through all of this. But she did it, and now here you two were able to sign that paper. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, there was, there was, you know, just so many moments. But, you know, I don't go into it too much in the book, but also she carried those fears, you know, from the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. And, you know, she carried a lot of those fears because, like, sometimes I'd come home from work. And I'd grab her and I'd kiss her and whatever. And if the blinds were open, she'd go, stop it, stop it, stop it. You know, uh-huh. and put down the blinds. Uh-huh. And I'd be like, Dee I mean, especially if, if you saw where we live, like, you know, there's like brownstone. So there, it's a couple of blocks before, like, there's a building that would sort of hit our floor. And I'm like, Edie, literally somebody would have to have a telescope directly <laughs> into our living room window at, like, you know, and stalk us from like, you know, 5.45 to 6.15 every day, you know, to see us just kissing. And she's like, no, stop, stop it. I mean, she, she carried those fears her entire life. And, you know, and that's important because, you know, there are a lot of people of that generation. I was at a, yeah. a dinner and there was a couple who had been together, like they've been together like, like yeah. 40 years. And when they... And it's okay now. And they were at a thing. But when they talked about their partner, they said, well, my friend. And they, she yeah. said, well, I guess I can say my partner now. But all yeah. those years mm-hmm. of, of living in fear, it's still there for so many. I mean, mm-hmm. but, but I think that some of the younger people who might take it for granted, that, you know, that they can just go and get married. They can have destination weddings. They can get divorced. Mm-hmm. But they don't understand or really the importance of these couples who have been together all these years and how that impacted them. Why that, know. you know, they aren't rushing out to have to do with that. And maybe, yep. you know, taking for granted the privilege that they have and how it could be snatched away. Right. Yeah. And, and they don't, they don't understand it, you know, and I do things like, you know, I walk around, you know, I live downtown, and Stonewall's very close to me, and I was over on 7th Avenue doing something, and I was walking back, and I saw these two young girls, and they were, like, you know, trying to get a selfie in front of Stonewall and whatever, mm. and I, and I kind of stopped, and I said, hey, do you want me to take your picture? And they're like, oh, would you? That'd be really nice. Would you do that? And I said, sure. And then I started talking, you know, I just was like, hey, are you two, you know, and they told me they were, like, from Texas or somewhere, and I said, are you two married? And they said, yes. And I said, oh, I said, do you know who Edie Windsor is? And they're like, no. Hmm. And I said, I'm like, Whoa. and I go, well, <laughs> I said, you know, I said, you know, you should. I said, if you're, especially if you're married, I said, Edie Windsor was the woman who took down the defense of marriage. I, I go into my, you know, two minute, you know, elevator speech of Edie mm-hmm, Windsor mm-hmm. and, um, you know, explain it to them. I go, you know, and that was only, you know, six years ago. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah. And in my head, you know, I say a lot of this in my head because I don't want to, like, blast them right there. On this, but I'm always very, you know, I'm nice and whatever. And then I introduce myself, and they're like, oh, my God, wow. And I said, do me a favor. I said, when you get a chance, and now, now, it's, you know, because I was out last night, and everybody I stopped to, I'm like, I'm like, have you bought the book yet? And they're like, oh, no, but I'm going to, and whatever. I go, can't talk to you, not until you buy the, not until you buy the book. I said, I'll see, you, I'll, see you, I'll see you in a couple of weeks or at the next event or whatever. I said, can't talk to you until you read the book. And then one, one, one woman I, I saw, she goes, I'm halfway through it. I go, I can talk to you. Donald. I hope you've enjoyed part one of my conversation with Judith Kaysen Windsor. Edie Windsor's memoir, A Wild and Precious Life, was released on October 8, 2019. Windsor began working on the book prior to her passing, and it was completed by her co-writer. He finished the book using the hundreds of files Edie left behind that included files on all her family members, letters, photographs, musings, and detailed day calendars dating back to 1953, among other things. Judith and Edie first met in 2010 and were married in 2016. Next week, Judith will continue her remembrance of Edie and provide more insight on the book in part two of our conversation. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
and let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week as I continue my conversation with Judith Kaysen Windsor. Be sure and listen to Collections by Michelle Brown every Thursday when I'll introduce you to more amazing individuals who are living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. That's each Thursday right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.